As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest through life's journey. Featuring devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, The Wells, along with church history, mission news, music, and other items by those who support our teaching. My name is Tom Barthel, serving as pastor at Trinity Lutheran in Nina, Wisconsin. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This is episode number 119. We'll begin with a reading and devotion on 1 Peter, shared by Pastor Mark Falk. 1 Peter 2, verse 6, Never put to shame. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. To shame. NIV 1984. Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church is the church of my youth in Morrison, Wisconsin. Not many churches get that old, old name, but the name means something. Zion was the stronghold of the Jebusites until God gave Jerusalem into the hands of his people and his king, David. Was the Temple Mount the same as Mount Zion? I can't get a clear answer to that question. But when Peter writes, he quotes Isaiah. And Isaiah's thoughts have moved beyond the mountain, beyond the city of Jerusalem, to the people of God. The Old Testament people of God were Israel. But not all Israel belonged to spiritual Zion. Most, in fact, rejected their God and his promises. For those who listen... Both Isaiah and Peter connected the coming of the Messiah to the picture of Zion. If we think of Zion as a fortress, that fortress is the church where the true faith rests on the firm cornerstone, Jesus himself. Buildings need cornerstones and foundations, firm footing and firm direction and straight lines or they will fall. The New Testament Zion, not Zion Morrison, but the invisible church of all believers, will never fail. He has a precious and solid cornerstone. This brings me to the main point and to words that actually warm my heart. That means they move my emotions. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There are many days when I need these words. I awaken with shame in my heart. I lay my head on my pillow feeling shame. I know the faults in my life. I know that I have never, and no pastor pastor can ever, fully met and perfectly fulfilled the duties of my high calling. But this is true not just of pastors. Every Christian is called to live a holy life and to shed a bright light on all around him. How often we fail. How often shame creeps into our hearts, or should. We are filled with dark thoughts of defeat, even when we know that we ought to be rejoicing in the victories that God has supplied. Our dark mood itself leads us to feel more shame. What a devastating circle of negative, unbelieving thought can envelop us. More shame, more dark thinking, more shame. And then these words, simply hearing them lifts my heart. My trust in the Savior whose blood has cleansed me from sin is far from perfect, but it still is. 
And the promise of God holds true. There is no shame for those who trust in the salvation that has been purchased by the strong and precious cornerstone of our faith and of the building and fortress of faith called Zion. We are part of a building centered on a strong boulder that cannot be moved, Christ himself. He has died. He has risen victorious. Our sins are gone. No shame. It's too bad that churches don't get named Zion anymore. But this truth remains. When we trust in the cornerstone of Zion, all shame disappears. This is a song by Chris Dreisbach, Glorious. It was dark in the middle of the day As the Savior's lifeblood dripped away My God, why did you leave? He cried He hung his head and breathed a final time It was dark And the temple curtain tore Even in his death He was glorious, God and man, not divided anymore. Even in the dark, He was glorious. The earth shook with His final shout. Holy people who had died walked about It seemed so much like he had lost But victory came while he was hanging on the cross It was dawn And the temple curtain tore Even in his death God and man Not divided anymore Even in the dark He was glorious When it comes to the time of my last breath There'll be no trembling or fear for me in death My dying branch lives on in the vine Jesus joined the Father's hand in mine It was dark And the temple curtain tore Even in his death He was glorious
God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 38, verses uh, 31 to 33. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons, or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? We talked about these constellations in an earlier speech by Job back in chapter 9. Job freely admitted there that God is the maker of all the stars, including the constellations, and he named some of them here the bear, Orion, the Pleiades. Some people think that the word constellations itself, which is in Hebrew, mitzrot, um, in verse 32, isn't a generic word for a cluster of stars like our word constellation, but the name of an actual constellation, the Mitzrot, could mean either, oh, the nets, um, that word is used that way in Proverbs one seventeen, or it could be the winnowing forks. We see that in Jeremiah 15. Uh, perhaps a constellation low in the sky to most of us up here in the north, such as the Hyades, which is in Taurus, or the boat of Arcturus in the southern part of the sky could be intended. We don't know enough about the ancient names of the constellations to say more at this point. Maybe a reference in a document yet to be discovered will shed more light on this word. But the Lord also uses the term Mishtar in verse 33, dominion, rule, authority. That's what Mishtar means. This isn't an easy word to understand, especially in this context. Earlier in Job, Zophar used a similar word, hushmel, dominion, but we have a different word uh, here. This term, mishtar, occurs only here in the Bible. Now, it could mean one of a couple things, uh, either of which would make good sense. The first is that uh, dominion or rule term, and that could be um, like an old Assyrian word, uh, shataru, which sounds similar. It means dominion. Another Assyrian or Akkadian word is uh, shitir, the stars, which often appears in the phrase shitir shamani, stars of the sky. And that would make the last phrase read um, this way. Can you set up God's starry sky over the earth? The NIV has, can you set up God's dominion over the earth? And I think starry sky would make good sense, especially in this context. I have to admit that although the NIV, both new and old, translates Mishtar as dominion, I guess I would prefer to see starry sky here. But the, um, uh, and, and in fact, um, the uh, Hebrew German lexicon called the Wörterbuch by Edward Koenig back in 1910 also prefers starry sky or firmament or something like that for this word. Well, we've established what the text probably means, but we've seen that. As is almost always the case, this difficulty in understanding what a rare word means um, doesn't change the meaning of the passage really either way. Only in a nuance that doesn't change any doctrine at all is there really a difference between can you set up God's dominion over the earth or can you set up God's starry sky over or above the earth. The doctrine here is easy enough for a child to understand Only God could have put the stars in the sky. God is the one who set them exactly where he wanted them, and he keeps them or changes them according to his will. God does the same thing with each one of us. We are where he wants us, and if he wants us moved, he'll move us. That doesn't mean that we aren't subject to the sins of other people that move us around too, but we can also be confident that God wants us to be where we are and that he will bless us where we are.
His greatest blessing is his son, whose glory fills the universe brighter than the sun, more vast than the whole universe. He rescued us from the guilt of our sins, and his mercy will outlast the universe itself. His love endures forever. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. To Tell the Story is based on Luke 17, verses 11 to 19, shared by Pastor Luke Italiano. Not good enough. Ben-Hadad was never good enough. Not for his father, who'd always demanded, Better! Better! Don't be such a klutz! Not for his mother, who said, You know why you won't get married? You're always stumbling over stuff. Not for the owner of the shop he worked at. Do it again, or you won't get paid. And stop running into things. So, when Ben-Hadad's foot stopped hurting, he didn't think anything of it. He figured his body had finally learned to ignore all the pain he sent it through. And then the sores appeared on his skin. And his eyesight got bad in his left eye. And then everyone could see he wasn't good enough. It showed up on his skin, and there was no way he could hide it. Ben-Hadad had leprosy. He wasn't good enough to stay in town. How could he? If he stayed, he'd get everyone sick. He wasn't good enough for a goodbye embrace. How could he? He'd only get his his family sick. So he went to the edge of town to stay with the other lepers, the other people who weren't good enough. He stayed on the fringe of society. Ben-Hadad had thought finally, finally he'd be accepted because everyone here had leprosy. They were all in the same boat. And they did accept him. To a point. You see, these other lepers were Israelites. They were the people of God. And Ben-Hadad, he was just a Samaritan, a half-breed. Someone who wasn't even good enough for their God. And so even though they all had leprosy, They all knew that Ben-Hadad wasn't really one of them. They all waited, without hope that someday they might go to the temple and be declared healed. And unless a priest inspected them and declared them clean, they would die exiles. The lepers were mostly alone, but even they had heard the stories, mostly from before they got leprosy, of this wandering healer, of this Jesus Ben-Hadad had heard of him. He'd gone through a village, what was it, uh, Sychar, not too long before, and the entire village had proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one the Jews were waiting for. But Ben-Hadad didn't have any hope. How could he? Jesus was a Jew. Ben-Hadad couldn't be good enough for Jesus. And then they heard Jesus was passing by. And so the whole group cried out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Even Bethadad cried out, even though he knew he wasn't good enough. And when Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And you can bet all ten of them ran. They sprinted, they galloped. As they ran, Ben-Hadad suddenly shouted, Ouch! He looked down. He'd stepped on a rock. Wait. He had felt himself step on the rock. His nerves were working. 
Soon they were all smiling, and they were all pinching themselves, not just to see if it was true, but to see it. They were healed. The splotches on their skin, gone. Ben Hadad's eyes started working again, and they laughed, and they sang, and they ran to the temple to do what Jesus had told them to do. But Ben Hadad, he didn't. He turned around and went back to Jesus. You see, when you're not good enough, and someone gives you something that you would never expect, the only way you can respond is in loud shouts of thanksgiving. And that is what Bain Hadad did. He ran back to Jesus, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And Jesus, he shook his head. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except for this foreigner? And then Jesus reached down and touched Ben-Hadad on the shoulder. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, brothers and sisters, today's Thanksgiving Day... We're all told to be thankful. But we are never truly thankful if we think we deserve what we get. Like Ben Hadad, we are not good enough for God's blessings. And yet, he blesses us anyway. And that is a miracle. That is why we have much to give thanksgiving for today. And this story is true. We'll close with a song by the Lutheran Cayley Orchestra.
You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast. This episode was first shared in March of 2017. For more information, visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com. We encourage you to visit a Wells ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us, and remember His promised rest.